1: Good morning, everyone. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. And, of course, by the sound of my voice, as I said yesterday and now again this morning, I am not Carmen LeBurge. You definitely are I not. am definitely not Carmen Laberge. I love Carmen LeBurge. I am not uh, Carmen Paul Perot, but I am yeah. uh, Dr. Peter Kastner. She has much
0: nicer hair, too.
1: <laughs> she, she does. Well, she has more of it, and so by default <laughs> uh, on that. But delightful uh, to be here again this morning with all of you listening and uh, just getting up starting our day this way. I think often as I'm driving in about just the uh, privilege is an overused word in our Christian communities, perhaps, but it really is a privilege to get up uh, this morning like this as the sun is rising and thinking about all the brothers and sisters of our family that are getting up as well and, and following Jesus yet again today. And uh, Paul, we were, you and I were texting a little bit yesterday, just thinking about the show mm-hmm. today and you, I obviously was the, the full-time host for a while and, and continue to fill in for Carmen here and there. And, and there are shows, and then there are shows. Yeah, and, and this feels like shows, like the second of that Big version. Show. Yeah, yes. I, I, I'm thinking ahead to some of the different guests this morning. Obviously, we're going to start with Adam Carrington here in just a little bit. There's so much going on with mm-hmm. the Supreme Court. I don't even know how to get through everything with him this morning. But really, pretty profound decisions being made that are going to yep. shape the arc of our country for many generations ahead. Yep, you got that going on. Uh, we'll be talking more COVID-19 stuff right. next hour, Doctor David um, Stevens. I know you're going to have fun talking with Gary Stratton, like you usually do. But those he, it may not seem meaty, but when when you guys get into it, it's like whoa. Yeah, and he he released a a relative. I don't want to call it controversial just yet, but uh, but I would say definitely a thought provoking uh, post that he. He put out on his Facebook page where he did a sermon on Juneteenth, and he talked about whether or not we should see the, the our current president, President Trump, as somebody who was divinely ordained, and he made some equivalences to King Saul in the Old Testament as well. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little curious about what Gary has to say about this. He's one of the most fair-minded individuals yes. that I know, and so I'll be curious his thoughts, and then, of course, we'll end the show with Dr. Raleigh Washington as Good well. And, and I, Yeah, and I don't know if anybody better to talk about issues of social justice and Black Lives Matter and and obviously some of the things that are first in our and foremost in our This morning. So So, it should be a pretty big show. Yeah, well, nothing all that heavy to worry about. No, absolutely not. But as we get into some of the events of our world, I was also thinking about one of my favorite passages of scripture this morning, and that comes from the third chapter of Philippians. And we obviously, as believers, do engage in the events of this world, but we do so from a different kind of place. We are citizens of heaven. And so I want to just get started as we uh, get into the conversation with Adam here in just a minute by reading a bit of Philippians 3, where Paul writes this I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I haven't already obtained all this. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on to take that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've told you before, and now I tell you again, even through tears, there are many that live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Destiny is destruction, God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will one day even transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That for me, even just through the tears of what's happening, right, as we approach the difficult events in our world here over the next couple of hours, through tears to the perspective of heaven. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, Nine minutes past the top of the hour here on Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. I am Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning, and that music means that Adam Carrington, professor of political science from Hillsdale College, is joining us. I always look forward to those conversations. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Good to talk with you again, Peter. Yeah, it's been uh, It was fun to even chat a little bit off air. We were, we were talking about there just seems very little to talk about here, Adam. I don't know how we're going to fill this time at this point
0: exactly yeah i mentioned i might just have to filibuster and i said talk about baseball or maybe my favorite fish fishing reel because yes as you said nothing (laughs) on the supreme
1: court it was quite a week last week that's for sure even the last couple of weeks and of course we saw uh, quite a bit of conversation about the daca ruling as well as some of the conversations around lgbtq rights and uh, just where, where do you want to start with this adam
0: Well, I I, I think you all have talked at least a little bit about the the Bostick uh, opinion, but uh, uh, DACA uh, I found interesting because I think it was important to keep in mind what the case was about and what it wasn't. So in the end, the court really wasn't deciding on whether the president could rescind DACA, the the program that uh, uh, gave at least deferred legal action to uh, 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 illegal immigrants who came here as children. And uh, that really it was a question of procedure. Uh, did the Trump administration rightly go about the process of rescinding or getting rid of it? And the majority said no. Now, I, I would tend to think that they were I, – I think they were a little too strict or harsh on the Trump administration in trying to do so. Uh, But at the same time, I think one thing that a lot of people probably don't know about is the Trump administration has lost a couple uh, of decisions like this, partly a little bit out of, I think, the court being harder than they need to be, but also, I think, out of a little bit of sloppiness that they haven't always dotted their I's and crossed their T's on some of these uh, administrative law cases. So in some ways, while it was about a hot-button issue indirectly about immigration. It really was a question of of sort of the boring administrative law procedure of how to uh, 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 reverse an executive order.
1: Well, and with President Trump, again, whether you support our president, whether you don't support our president, this doesn't really have much to do with that in terms of the procedure that you're referencing here. And I think there's a lot of hand wringing going on that some of the appointees that he he brought to the Supreme Court suddenly are ruling against him in some ways. And Adam, is your take on some of that, though, that this does speak to the impartiality of the court and that you better bring your A game at this point with everything dotted and crossed if you're actually going to want a ruling in your favor? Yeah,
0: it it, it uh, on the positive side it definitely does means that um judges remain an independent branch of government and that uh, with the lifetime appointment, as uh, if anyone wants to read Federalist 78, Hamilton said, we want independent judges so they can impartially administer the laws. They're not being pushed and pressured uh, by outside forces as much, at least. Uh, uh, on the other hand, I, I think there is reason to also um, uh, debate the decisions themselves and say, okay, uh, the judiciary's independent, um, these uh, judges were put on, on 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 uh on the court, especially Kavanaugh and and uh, uh um uh pardon me and Gorsuch for The fact that they had a certain approach to the Constitution, uh, uh, that they were going to read it in as kind of originalist and textualist is the terms that are often put about. And so I think it's also legitimate to say, are they doing that correctly? And I think especially uh, the the uh, the 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 title seven case uh, from last week, you know, there's their great debate on whether Gorsuch uh,
1: adequately applied that. I think you can do both at the same time. So what is this school of thought? Again, remind our listeners, when you talk about originalism or textualism as a means of interpreting the law, what are we talking about here and how is that different than maybe how some would see the more liberal wing of the Supreme Court?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, the, the The idea is goes back to what do courts do that's different from lawmakers or law enforcers. And the idea is lawmakers make the law, law enforcers enforce it. Uh, the judiciary is not supposed to enforce it. They're not supposed to make law. Uh, they're merely supposed to take the laws that exist and apply them to cases. And that's what textualism and originalism it, it at least claims to do. Uh, textualism says we're going to look at the words of the statute themselves. And we're going to try to find what was their ordinary or plain meaning. And that's what we're going to try to apply to cases before us. And originalism is a way of saying we're not just going to look for what the words mean now. What did the text of the statute mean, at least publicly, when it was enacted, whether it was enacted last year, or whether it was enacted in 1788? Uh, and and um, what's different is uh, some of the other approaches have uh, either looked at the Constitution or statutes as evolving. If you ever hear of a, a living Constitution, meaning their meaning sort of changes as societal understandings change. Uh, there's others uh, that, that look more to, well, I understand these to be just or good purposes, so I'm going to tend to interpret the laws in light of those just and good purposes. Um, there's a variety of others out there, but a lot of it is between Uh, Can you separate your own desire, will, idea of justice and apply what uh, the other branches have have done and said? Or do you believe you need to inject more of your own beliefs about justice into the process? I think that's one of the more fundamental differences between these theories.
1: Well, I'd be curious what you think about the merits of that approach, Adam, because I know if we take it out of the realm of jurisprudence and put it into the realm of Scripture, that there is that same divided camp within the Scriptures. Some people uh, in both the Jewish faith and in the Christian faith would suggest you need to stay with the original meaning of the Scriptures. I would be one who would advocate for that, but uh, more recently, and by recently I mean the last hundred years or so, there definitely is a school of thought that would say we need to reinterpret the scriptures in light of today's events. And so I would, I would be an originalist when it comes to the scriptures, but I don't necessarily have to be an originalist when it comes to the Constitution, or how do we think about these things?
0: Yeah, I, I, I would definitely not want to equate the author of the scripture with the author of the Constitution, right? <laughs> right. Uh, that the, the, the author of scripture is God himself, he's in, infallible, and what he given is inerrant. Uh, and there and and is and is sovereign i mean and therefore uh is right and 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 should be followed to the letter as it is given and 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 no room for divergence um, i I think there is an argument for originalism and text, originalism and textualism without divinizing the founders or its rat, or the constitution's ratifiers and but it 's a lesser argument and and that 's the argument that even though they 're fallible um a a good thing that we have in this country is the rule of law and even scripture itself, you know, it would have the king in in ancient Israel write out the law and follow it. But I would say even when the law's author is human, one, it tries to approximate divine law, the law of God, if it's being done rightly, the natural law. But second, um, the rule of law says that we can know ahead of time what rules we need to follow Uh, It says ahead of time that laws can be applied equally regardless of who you are. It's a matter of what you did, whether you violated the law or not, and that um, if we replace uh, a a a legal text having a fixed meaning and that we only change that meaning if we ourselves through the legal process uh, uh, amend it, either constitutional amendments or statutory changes, uh, then we're left with the rule of man. And the rule of man can be capricious. Uh, Human beings, unlike God, are are sinful. And so I think in some ways the fact that humans are the author in some ways supports originalism and textualism more because we want to be able to hold ourselves and others accountable.
1: How Mm -hmm. do you do that with a fixed text to look at? That's great stuff, as always, from Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, talking about Supreme Court and some of the implications we see moving into the future. Adam, when we come back after a short break, let's look forward a little bit into the election cycle that obviously we're in and coming up towards. And we wonder about what President Trump might be seeing for future Supreme Court justices and how that may impact our future as well. So more to come here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day. Well, I don't know, Adam Carrington. That's some pretty exciting mu- music for this early in the morning. Uh, yes, uh,
0: I, I haven't had my coffee yet, so <laughs> I, I, that's that I guess will have to be the replacement. Definitely.
1: Paul Perot is waking us up this morning. Well, we've been talking with Adam Carrington about some of the different uh, legislati- legislative decisions made by the Supreme Court here recently. And there's one that we definitely need to get into this morning, and that has to do with some of the Democratic senators that are moving maybe to limit some of the religious freedom in our country. Tell us about that. Yes this is and it's been around
0: actually before just this year but it was uh, brought back up uh post uh, the the recent decisions it's called the Equality Act uh and of course you hear a name like that and you think oh I'm for equality right uh, mm-hmm. but this this argument uh uh that this law what what what's worrisome about it is it would uh in practice limit the reach of Rifra uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And and if anyone was following the court, that's the law that protected the um, uh, a Hobby Lobby uh, uh, company when it was trying to uh, maintain its religious beliefs under the uh, Health Care Act. And so uh, what this would do is limit that uh, protection for religious liberty in a number of uh, situations, especially employment uh, situations and uh, in some ways uh, very much limit the, the religious f- uh, freedom protections that people are uh, are now leaning increasingly heavily
1: on in, in, in the public sphere. So where do we see then this moving forward at this point? I mean, if, if there is a decision that that continues to limit religious freedom, that can impact a lot of different organizations, including even churches
0: yeah i i don 't really see it getting through to be law right now. I think it was more posturing because of the makeup of the of 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 the uh of the house senate and 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 presidency uh, that could change if if the elections change in the fall uh so and that would have very wide we, reaching uh, repercussions, uh, especially for believers who are trying to engage in the normal marketplace engage in normal businesses uh, It could really rework. Uh, the degree to which they're able to live out their faith in public. I will say one countervailing thing uh, the Supreme Court is taking up a case in the fall. Uh, about uh, how to read the Free Exercise Clause. And without getting into all the back history, the Free Exercise Clause has been fairly narrowly interpreted the last 25 years. One reason RIFRA came into being was to strengthen religious liberty because of the way the Supreme Court had been interpreting uh, the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. Uh, they're now revisiting whether they need to strengthen uh, the way that clause is interpreted itself, that could countervail this a little bit as well. Uh, we'll have to see. There's a lot of moving parts on how how uh, religious liberty is going to play out legally over the next few years and even decades.
1: Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch. And Adam, as we move forward into the election coming up here about five months from now or so, there's obviously been a lot of hand-wringing and consternation by some sides in the conservative camp saying, well, we, we have two new Supreme Court justices, but they don't seem to be ruling according to the way we thought they might rule in some of these cases. And so now President Trump is offering a list of future justices. It's kind of odd, perhaps, that he's doing that because that would mean somebody would be leaving the Supreme Court. And I know there's some health concerns with people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and maybe others might be stepping down. But what do we see moving forward? Is Is this him positing a list because he knew it was an election winner for him in 2016 and he wants to sort of reboot his base in this? I think that's the basic
0: argument. I think that's probably the best. It was actually, I think, a pretty uh, adept move by the uh, campaign back in 2016 to say uh, for many people who are especially people who are on the fence about President Trump uh, for other reasons, the courts were the big thing, Uh, the the idea that uh, through the courts, we can start to reverse some of the. Uh, decisions and movement of the country that seems to have been uh, so troubling to many uh, conservatives, many Christians, many, uh, many who, you know, might be open to supporting the president. And so I think the idea is let's do that again. And so that they you know what you're getting if you really want to look at these guys. I will say, given the fact that Justice Gorsuch wrote the opinion that uh, frustrated so many conservatives on the LGBT issues on Title VII. Uh, The question is going to be, is it going to be less effective this time? Are some people going to say, well, I didn't get the results I wanted, Uh, When you and you know, Gorsuch was on the list, was, you know, the the, one of the people on the list last time. Um, Will it be less effective because of these results? Uh, That's going to be interesting from an electoral perspective.
1: That really will be. Adam, before I let you run, I have to ask you, too, are they still sort of moving through conservative justices at different levels in our country at the same kind of speed? I know Mitch McConnell and President Trump were working pretty feverishly on bringing new justices into the different vacancies.
0: Yes. And in some ways, the, the uh, I, I have a big problem with the fact that Congress seems to have in many ways given up legislating. Uh, in some ways, the Senate almost seems like their main job now is to appoint judges. And I think that's good. We need to fill the judgeships. Uh, we need to fill them with good, strong men and women who will interpret the law well. Uh, I do wish that that wasn't so dominantly their, 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 uh, their MO right now, but they are doing that continuing a pace and doing some, I think, really, really
1: good, uh, thoughtful uh, uh, judicial scholars uh, along those lines. Hmm. I know you teach at Hillsdale too. Are you guys uh, getting back together for virtual learning in the fall? Or are you going to be face to face? Do you know at this point? we our president has announced that we are doing it face to face unless
0: legally not allowed to Uh, we're very committed to in-person learning if at all possible of course we're already taking steps to be as safe as possible with that but um uh, the classroom for us and i i'm sure for you all is a community it's a community of learning it's a kind of partnership and friendship And uh, in many ways, physically being present together is so important to that. So, of course, if we have to, we may have to make other arrangements. But right now we're committed to learning and and engaging and learning together because that's really how we believe it's best done.
1: Yeah, it certainly wasn't the same without students face to face this last spring. So hopefully we can all get back together in the fall. Well, great to talk to you as always, Adam. Great to catch up. Appreciate your perspective on so many of these matters that really do impact us, whether we know it or not. So have a great day. Have a great rest of the summer as well. I'm going to talk to you soon. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. Take a short break here. And when we come back for the second half of this hour, we'll be talking with Dr. Gary Stratton. And Gary has written a sermon on June, Juneteenth in which he was wondering about King Saul and, and God's regret of anointing King Saul. And he, he had some pretty interesting and thought-provoking things to say about our president as well related to that. So stay with us. We'll be talking with Gary Stratton here in just a few moments. <laughs> Well, if you were sitting in studio with me and Paul Pro this morning, you'd see that my desk over here is filled with all kinds of news that Paul puts on here. And uh, we cover a lot of pretty heavy topics here in the morning show, so it's always fun to find something a little lighter in the news here, Paul. And one of the stories, it says uh, that it's one thing to find a few bees in a yard, right? Right. But imagine finding 160,000 of them in your living room. A couple in England got quite the surprise when they bought their dream home as is. Hmm, maybe needed some inspectors to come in at this point. Yeah. They had planned to do renovations, but never expected that would include removing a 15-foot-long beehive hidden in the fireplace. Uh. Seems the previous owner boarded it up without saying a word. They did relocate those bees on the farm.
0: Okay, they relocated
1: them. They I did see. relocate those bees. But yes, if you're thinking about buying a home, I know the market's pretty tight uh, these days. Interest rates are low, but uh, I would highly recommend hiring an inspector to avoid the beehive issue. Exactly. Be thorough. Be (laughs) Well done on the pun this morning. Hey, up next is Dr. Gary Stratton. Going to talk a little bit about God's anointing of Saul and if there's anything we can learn from that related to the divine sort of intersection with leaders around our world. What if
0: the last thing you said to your son today were the last words you ever spoke to him? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? No one wants to be remembered for nagging remarks or a judgmental spirit. I realize that not everything you tell your kids will be positive, but you can still compliment your child every day. Tell your son he's not an intrusion on your life. Tell your daughter that conversations with her are the best part of your day. Or try this powerful phrase, my friend Chelsea tells her children, even on your messiest day, my life wouldn't be as good without you. Affirmations like this speak right to your teen's heart. And the loving words from mom and dad are what we hope they'll remember long after we're gone.
2: Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
1: Music makes me smile. We love the song here at Faith Radio Studios, Paul and I do. And of course, that means that our good friend, Dr. Gary Stratton, is going to be joining us as well. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Peter. Great to have you as always. Uh, Just remind our listeners, you are the Professor of Spiritual Formation and Cultural Engagement, Dean of Arts and Sciences Department at Johnson. And Gary, I uh, always am curious what you've been reading lately. I know you're a pretty voracious reader. You read widely, which I really appreciate in terms of how it informs your perspective. So as we continue in sort of semi-lockdown, things are somewhat open, somewhat closed still. Do you have any good reading ideas or tips for me and our listeners?
2: Oh boy, great question. Well, I, I, my, my three most favorite recent books—they're uh, very. I'm always reading different types of books. I, I don't know why. So I stumbled upon uh, Nahum Ward Lev's book, "The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets: mm. Then and Now." He's a, a rabbi. Um, just I. It was so sobering for me to sit down and I was learning things about the Old Testament. I was learning things about the prophets that I had never even like been exposed to. My wife's an Old Testament professor and some (laughs) of the things were blowing her mind away. Just this rich tradition of the Midrash and seeing things in the text that we've just never seen before. So that was fantastic. And what
1: was the name of that again?
2: Uh, The Liberating Path. Of the Hebrew prophets,
1: yeah, I find to the extent that we can understand what's going on in the Old, that those themes pull themselves through into the New Testament, and and so much about what Jesus is up to, and, and what Paul and Peter and the rest of the disciples are talking about, really finds its origin in these Old Testament themes and thoughts.
2: No, it really does, and I I just like there he you know he takes these insights from the prophets and then goes back and like does a rewash through the Pentateuch and through the Kings like from that perspective and like i'm seeing things on the in the abraham story and everything i've just never seen before uh because of this this perspective he has of what god's really up to which is about a uh, developing covenant love. I mean that sounds so stupid to not I mean like I could have said that before, but just seeing how it just that's always, always, always what God is trying it has at stake. So it's yeah, an it, awesome book.
1: Yeah, and it certainly helps then when you start seeing that things in the New Testament that God is love or the great love of God or the depth of the love of God. When you can tie it into those covenant love themes of the Old Testament, you do see this beautiful narrative arc all the way through the text. And speaking of the Old Testament, Gary, I, I find you Over our 18 years of friendship, to be one of the most fair-minded individuals that I know, it kind of drives me nuts, actually, because then I feel like I need to at least listen (laughs) and pay attention and and, and consider what you have to say, even if I might disagree with some of it. And I'm still processing a bit the article that you wrote for Juneteenth and and a sermon that that you wrote. Uh, You sent me the transcript. It's on your Facebook page as well and you started talking a little bit about God's role and God's response to Saul's actions in the Old Testament. So before we get any further with that, just give a little sense of why you did this sermon, why you did it on Juneteenth, and how we understand what was going on between God and Saul.
2: Oh, great question. Well, you know, it it grew out of reading this book the same time I was reading Andy Crouch's book, Playing God. Uh, And suddenly on the same morning, they both completely independently had the same insight. Uh, I don't think they'd ever read one another, Uh, (laughs) that there's this tremendous relationship between injustice and idolatry, that they're just two sides of the same coin. Uh, And I had just, I'd never seen it before, that uh, injustice is the result of humans playing God, that's Andy Crouch's term, by dominating others for personal benefit or the benefit of family and friends and idolatry then goes one step further by promoting self-interest by trying to bend the will of a God. Mm. Uh, and when I had that insight, and that's the insight that word lev is kind of walking through trying to see things. Suddenly I just you know saw these insights into what was going on uh, in the Saul story. I'd just never seen before. You know, why, It seemed like what David did was a whole lot worse than what Saul did. I mean, let's just be honest, murder right. conspiracy. Right. You know? uh, and yet what David doesn't, lose his place. God doesn't regret making him king because of that. I mean, he rebukes him and different things, but, but Saul loses it over what he did, but it's because of this deep relationship between Saul kind of gave in to, uh, to idolatry, just the second form of idolatry, because there's two forms. You shall have no other gods before me, which is the worship of a false God, but there's also the worship of the true God in a false way. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. And that that's what was really going on with Saul, that uh, he performed a religious act, a ceremonial sacrifice, not to worship God, but to prop up his failing leadership. And that is what the prophets just keep going after Israel about. These people honor me at their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And it's this broken covenant relationship with God that God cares about so much because it's not just affects how we have a relationship with him, but how we relationship with one another, that our interest ends up becoming the God. So uh, it just obviously we're in the middle of the time in our country where uh, we're really reevaluating uh, a long and failed and difficult history going back 400 years of bringing the first slaves to the United States. I mean, are, are we going to set these things right? Uh, and seeing that Saul was unable to, not just because of his idolatry, but he was so committed to injustice. He was the one uh, killing off the Gibeonites. And God held Israel responsible Mm. for that even after Saul was long gone. And so how human leaders are responsible for the actions of previous leaders, even if they had nothing to do with them was just, it, that just led to a June,
1: yeah, sermon. Yeah. Before getting into some of the impact potentially for us here that we can think about these things in light of events today, I'd be curious what your thoughts are. What did injustice look like in the Old Testament? And and when, as you rightfully have said, the prophets always had two concerns. They had concerns about the idolatry of Israel, and they had concerns about the lack of justice within Israel itself. And and that always seems to be what they're taking them to task about. It's why Saul lost the favor of God as well. But what, what did injustice look like in that context?
2: Well, for the most part, it was, I mean,
1: Isaiah says it's making
2: unjust laws. It's issuing oppressive decrees. It's depriving the poor of their rights. It's withholding justice from the oppressed. Uh, that's anytime you use the power you have uh, to do something that negatively impacts somebody else, whether it's intentional or not. Uh, and there's all these things in the law that were designed to protect them, uh, leaving fields fallow every seventh year so the poor could use them, not gleaning, not harvesting to the edge of your field so the poor could glean from the edge. I mean, just all these things that God has put in. And Israel just kept, it was just greed, 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 greed. Uh, and that's what, you know, Paul ends up saying in Ephesians 5, that it's greed that is idolatry in the end uh, and seeing that uh, that connection.
1: And is it fair to say, Gary, that that was part of what was diminishing Israel's light in the world then is the way they were treating one another as a community and the lack of justice and the greed that was present and people sort of looking out for themselves and not moving with an other centered heart of compassion. All of those things is where God's concern may be lie is that they were then no longer shining his light in the world because they were meant to live a different way of life.
2: Right. And it's one of the things, it's such a subtle thing to get shifted. I mean, that's what happened in Israel. They, they stopped being interested in being a prophetic people. They stopped being interesting in being like, to they just wanted to be like other people stop being having spiritual leadership, stop having, start having political leadership. We, we want a King. And so, I mean, God gave them one and God worked some good things through it that get Jesus, uh, his life uh, became right. And just because we'd asked for a King but the problem is that politics is always just by nature a self-centered process we vote for candidates we believe best serve our self-interest that's mm. i mean that's kind of the nature of what it means to vote but the faith of jesus the face of the prophets is an other-centered endeavor so we act to serve the best interest of others so that there's the christians are not sometimes voting and doing and speaking things that are against their best interests, then they are not voting or acting politically as Christians. They've just given into the political system. I think that's what I was, uh, was calling for so much that we need to, we need to be able to willing to speak up now, no matter which side of this political divide on whether mm. we're a part of the catechism of CNN or the catechism <laughs> of Fox um, that we are willing to speak up when we see injustice on both sides of political divide to speak up against it and not say, well, we can't say anything bad about our candidate or that might hurt their election. No, then we've just given in to the political system, which is exactly what happened.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's great stuff, Gary. I want to get into that a little bit more deeply after a short break here, ask you about so how do we then process the political leadership of the last few years, the political leadership into the future, and how do we understand some of these things? So thanks for the great insight into anchoring us in God's kingdom as we get into that conversation. We'll have more up next with Gary Stratton. (laughs) It is 11 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner, filling in for today and tomorrow for Carmen LeBurge here on Mornings with Carmen, and we're having an interesting, thought-provoking conversation with Dr. Gary Stratton about the intersection of God's kingdom and what God cares about in light of some of the leadership, both of the Old Testament, also into today. And so, Gary, let's pick up where we left off there a minute ago, where you talked a bit about the idea of being catechized by CNN or being taught by CNN or maybe being taught or catechized by Fox News. And... To the extent that we do that, we end up maybe then leaning into certain political candidates and we don't want to necessarily call balls and strikes as we see them. We just want to make sure we say things that can support those political candidates, but as believers, we're called from a different kind of kingdom to look at things through a different sort of lens. And I read at the top of this hour a passage from Philippians that talks just about that. In verse 20 of chapter 3, it says our citizenship is in heaven. And, and yes, we are citizens of the United States. And yes, we can and should love our country. And yes, we can and should participate in our country. At, at many different levels, but it's always with the perspective that we are citizens of heaven and from a different place. So when we look at our political leadership, we have to call those balls and strikes from that perspective, not from the perspective of a party affiliation.
2: No, I mean, it's that's, we can't, we have to be political. I'm not arguing about that. And politics almost always involves some side of compromise. But if we sacrifice our integrity, our what we're called to be prophetically in the world, because our politics becomes more important, But we are on on a really dark path towards judgment. I mean, that's exactly what God was so upset about Israel with.
1: And in light of that, then, if we look at the leadership of the day, and again, I think with any political leader and any president, if you, again, you're fair-minded about it, you can see that there are some positives in that leadership, and there's some things that maybe, huh, I'm not sure about that. And as we live in this time where we have so many questions about justice and injustice, how do you see the current situation, Gary?
2: Well, it's mentioned. I've really been shaped um, this summer by another probably most influential book I've written is How Dare the Sun Rise. It's a, a memoir by Sandra Oringimana, uh, whose uh, family was in one of the, uh, in a refugee camp when they were attra- attacked by, you know, the other side, you know, in a, in a, war, in a guerrilla war, and they uh, killed her baby sister. Mm. Uh, in the process, 166 people died. Um, and here they were, uh, they had just been, um, worshiping the night before. A matter of fact, their her dad and her brother were at a worship service at the time. And the people that were going through the camp, uh, killing and burning people were singing Christian hymns as they went mm. because they, they had so their Christianity had become so tribalized. They had no trouble with doing something that Jesus would have found an abomination, but doing it Christianly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, her book is just such a, it's a powerful book. I really recommend it. Just how dare the sunrise. Um, but I mean, it's all dedicated to her sister who died. And she said, I won't, I won't give in to hate. It was tribalism, you know, that it's tearing Africa apart. Um, and I just see in her points, I see this happening in America. We're becoming so in, more and more tribal where even Christians are literally willing to almost really kill one another over uh, political differences uh, and singing, uh, singing about their God as they write the most horrible and do the most horrible things to one another. And so it was really a sobering combination to have those three books going through my, my life at the same time.
1: Yeah, I'm on a text thread with a, a pastor and some people that I know as well that just going back and forth and, and even some of the vitriol that can come forth on the text thread from a political standpoint. I mean, how do, how do we stand aside from this, Gary, and, and be the prophetic witness that you talked about in our first segment a bit to, to again, call a spade a spade? And regardless of your political persuasion, how, what would be some steps, even from a formation standpoint, that say, hang on, maybe I need to extricate myself a bit from what I have such allegiance to in a political party and begin to stand back and look at it through a different standpoint?
2: Well, sometimes it's just helpful to sit back and just look at how you're wired personally. This is just the way human beings are wired, that they they form tribes and they create us in and out groups and us them groups. And when you look at something that's kind of silly, it helps you realize how the same thinking is going in more serious places like viking fans versus packer fans you know <laughs> that you know it's like a moral thing you know I, we lived in boston uh and i mean we really hated the new york yankees and you know there we uh, testimony came out one New York Yankee player was a Christian and my wife turned to me and said, how can someone be a Christian and a Yankee? (laughs) And she she sort of meant it seriously, but she was making fun of herself as well that we just turn these things and these inflated things and we're unwilling to compromise. We lived in New England when the Patriots were winning all the Super Bowls and no one was willing to just say, Bill Belichick's cheating. Like no one in New England was willing to say it. The rest of the country would. Uh, And it's just, when it's one of us. It's one of ours, we just don't want to, you know, we just, we just, our logic goes out the window. And so to not being able to look at how, you know, injustice is being handled in America and saying, this isn't right. You know, it's, no, I can't say that. It might hurt my candidate is we, we're in a bad place if we do that. So it's learning to, to listen to the other, to respect their opinion, to speak civilly, to be, I love Bethel's, I uh, have an erratic spirit that we are willing to, uh, not, our first response is not, you're wrong, but wait a minute, that's different than I think. Could you explain that to me more fully? Mm. Uh,
1: we hardly ever do that, certainly not in text or on social media. Yeah, that's true. we got a couple minutes left here, Gary. I'd just ask you, is it fair to say, as we look forward to the elections and coming up, that regardless of whether uh, Trump wins another four years or Biden replaces him, that the Christian witness and the, and the Christian focus and mission doesn't change? Maybe the shape of that changes and the method of that changes. But really, at the end of the day, not, nothing changes about what we're called to do.
2: No. Matter of fact, it, it's, I mean, there's kind of always the good and the bad of everything. The church was like almost completely disengaged from politics for so long. Um, but now we've become so engaged that it, we, like, we've we conflated uh, spirituality and politics together in a way that is not healthy, is not going to go in a good place. Uh, and it's going it, to, it, every country that's ever done this has ended up in some really horrible places. So we just need to take a te- step back let's let's be the church. Let's speak prophetically when, where there's injustice, let's step in and do something, not just speak about it. Um, and that's where our primary work is going to be. And we need to work against systemic injustice as well as the helping the victims of oppression. We need both sides of those things to happen.
1: Mm, Gary, we've got 30 seconds left. I know you worked in Hollywood for quite some time. I'm always looking for things to watch that would have some sort of value, uh, maybe streaming through Netflix, Amazon Prime, something like that. you have any last-second suggestions for me as we're sort of in this semi-quarantine
2: yeah, you know, I would ju- I would just say challenge yourself with some movies that you wouldn't necessarily automatically watch right watch right now. So, uh, The Hate You Give, uh, Selma, Black Klansman, mm. Just Mercy, Fruitville Station. Uh, 13th, the document. I mean, th- these are all things like they're not the things you normally sit down just to yeah. have an entertaining evening, <laughs> but they're things that make you see things from a different perspective. And story can do that in a way that an argument never can.
1: Oh, I love it. Well, thanks as always for your wisdom and again, fair mightiness and perspective, Gary. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks so much, Peter. We'll take a short break here and wrap up hour one or preview what's coming up for hour two here on Mornings with Carmen. Lots of great resources there that uh, Gary Stratton gave us to think about. Paul Perot, you want to mention some of those books again that he referenced? I know some of the listeners are asking. Pardon me, I got to turn the mic on. Right. I missed the missed the one with the Jewish uh, rabbi.
0: Rabbi, right? I missed that one. But the other one was "Playing God" by Andy Crouch. And then the third one is How Dare the Sun Rise, and I forgot the name of the author, but if you do a quick Google search, yeah. you'll
1: find it, Amazon, whatever. So Yeah, he always has is such an amazing perspective because he's so well and widely read. appreciate what he had to say just about life in God's kingdom and how we're a prophetic witness into the world. And we'll continue that momentum moving forward into Hour 2 here in just a couple minutes. I know we'll pick up at the top of the hour with one of my favorite people, Dr. David Stevens. I know as listeners he's one of your favorites as well. My understanding is this is his this last is appearance in the morning. so yep, we'll celebrate. Retiring. We'll celebrate him well here as we talk about some of his uh, ways of helping us through this virus at the top of next hour. So stay with us here. More to come on Mornings with Carmen.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.